so far we've been looking at the discipling competency and we concluded today by looking, okay, how practically can I pioneer a discipleship approach, a discipleship movement in, in my organization, in my church, in my community, whatever it might be. Hello and welcome again to our final episode in this big long series that we've titled A Band of Disciples, A Band of Disciples. Thank you so much for being with us throughout the past few episodes as we have looked together um, to uh, at ways, uh, biblical ways, educational ways and practical ways to equip and inspire you to uh, become the best discipler uh, that you can possibly be, to help people become more like Jesus wherever you may be. And the reason we uh, you know, use this uh, band uh, idea is to uh, clarify over and over again that being a Christian is like uh, being a, a musician. It's not you become a Christian because you know some theological knowledge or because you are uh, forced to practice uh, some religious activities and there apparently, you know, somehow you become, uh, you know, really uh, great Christian. It it's actually doesn't work that way. It's not putting some different ingredients in a blender and all of a sudden you have a cake. Uh, that that's not the reality of real life. We are motivated. We are fueled by a vision of the future and that vision of the future we gather from, uh, uh, you know, obviously our nature and our, our communities and our culture, but ultimately from, uh, you know, what God deposits in our being, the very union that we have with Christ that has desires, you know, it says that the spirit desires things that are contrary to the flesh. So we have desires that uh, intrigue intrinsically, inherently uh, given to us by the Holy Spirit that wants us to be like Jesus in the world, that, that provoke us towards this fruitfulness, that, that the character traits of Christ, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, we want to manifest that in our life. So we, we're not moved just simply because we're so, we know some knowledge or we've been forced into some practices. We're moved by an image of becoming more like Jesus in the world. And as a discipler, and that's the ultimate dream that we have, that we help build a certain kind of person in the world, a Jesus-like human being who displayed the image of God in the world. And we've looked so far on the discipling calling, uh, several sessions there, about 10 sessions. We looked at the, uh, you know, the discipling community and so far we've been looking at the discipling competency and we concluded today by looking, okay, how practical can I pioneer a discipleship approach, a discipleship movement in, in my organization, in my church, in my community, whatever it might be. And, um, and this is, uh, you know, th this is culmination of various experiences uh, that people who mentored me have, have shared with me some of my own failure in, 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 uh, in implementing a discipleship, uh, you know, movement in, in various uh, church 
English context, ministry context, and just some of the learning that I've had, uh, uh, you know, looking at how people develop and how ideas uh, take, uh, you know, roots in, in systems. And I'm going to share those with you in a very simplistic way. Uh, this is not prescriptive. Uh, this is by no means the answer to the question. Uh, this is uh, an answer, uh, something that you can improve on, amend, uh, you know, uh, change completely. But I hope it would stimulate your thinking about how you can actually, uh, you know, become a person that impacts the community at large, whether that's your neighborhood, whether that's your, um, you know, church uh, environment, or whether that's an organization or a team that you're part of. How can you help that becomes, uh, you know, a movement rather than just a, a group that you engage with. And most of us follow a logical process to implement change. Most of us. What, what do we do usually? We, we create a plan. So we investigate, we evaluate, uh, you know, what is happening. Uh, we, we, we interact with other people, whether through surveys or focus groups, and then we come up with uh, some cohesive uh, vision of the, future, of the future. Then we create some action plans, uh, whether uh, two years, three years, some people used to do five years, probably that's not as relevant these days. And then we create 12 months uh, action plan to help us, uh, you know, uh, live this plan out. Then we go to the larger group that we've affiliated with. Uh, let's just work on the church dynamic at the moment um, because of uh, some of my experiences there. And we begin to inform them. So we have a campaign, a vision campaign, you know, videos. And, uh, you know, we, we, we have brochures, we have little booklets. And we, we begin to express the awesome future that could be, uh, that could be had if we follow this uh, plan of action. And, and we try to get people to share their testimonies and, and, and you know, we, we try to inspire of a preferred future and then we, 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 we recruit people in order to implement the action. So we invite people into some sort of training thing and, and, um, and recruit them and we'll say, okay, go on your way now and, and do what the action plan is asking us to do. And some, some environments uh, know that implementation, uh, you know, we go through an implementation dip uh, so and people usually after they begin to implement an initiative they face uh, in a uh, they, they face a failure and they refuse to embark on any other initiative after that they say they become resistant uh, to change so that doesn't work and they go back to their old ways and they go back with far more conviction that they're going to continue with the old way whether the old way works or not why because they're familiar with it uh, it doesn't require too much anxiety in the implementation of the old way because they're so, um, so capable of, of doing that. So uh, that's roughly what we do and in, in the logical process. And that's why uh, change initiatives are not sustainable for various reasons. Let me tell you a couple of them. Number one, we think we are rational beings. Where if we write down some persuasive plan and some action plans and some steps, that will be sufficient to persuade people when we inform them that this is the best way forward. This is your good life. This is the best thing that you could do. And then somehow our persuasion would fuel their passion 
to implement it, to pay the price, to risk their comfort, uh, to, 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 to take, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the action plan on board and to implement it in their own little context. But number one, we need to know that we're not rational beings only. That means we're not just motivated by persuasive arguments. In fact, most people are moved by a desire rather than a, a, a rational uh, plan. Uh, in fact, I heard it said once that we, we make um, an emotional decision and we tell our brain, go find us some reasons to justify why we made that uh, decision. <laughs> so we're not motivated. We're not fired up. We're not excited merely by an action. Like that's why some people, when they're doing action plans, they, 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 the preamble is, uh, listen, we know this is boring. So if it's boring, why do you ask them to engage in the process? And how do you think that's going to inspire them? If, if you're already noticing that this type of, uh, of persuasive uh, things are... are and, and you know what? We know that even from real life. You give somebody an, a mathematical equation compared to a song or a movie. What will motivate them more? Reading some, some equation or some abstract ideas in a book or be moved by... Uh, but by a song that captures their imagination. So we are creatures who are motivated by a desire and hopefully a desire is implicated by our Jesus likeness on the inside to become a type of people and to become a type of community, a new community like Paul writes to the Ephesians. Uh, but we are motivated by what it looks like, not just by argument. So that's the first reason why this logical process often is not sustainable. The second thing is what I alluded to. Once you teach people and you train people and you change the structure for the new initiative, people go and attempt to live that out if they're willing. And when they're faced with a failure, with what we call the uh, early implementation blues or the implementation dip, they are not encultured in a different way. So it's easy to let go of this new way. That new way hasn't actually, um, uh, you know, been part of their fabric. It was just something exterior to them. So we always uh, attempt to say it this way. You, you, can, uh, you can't change the structure without changing the culture. You can't change the structure. Yeah, from now on, we're going to do this, this, this and that because that's the logical process. It has to be part of people's lives. It has to be part of their, uh, you know, spiritual fabric before they live it out and pay the price to live it out. So logical process in any implementation uh, really uh, is sustainable and people don't show fidelity to the initiative. So they amend it to fit their uh, approaches because they don't want to fail. So, so they, they might say uh, the right terminology. They might share the same um, you know, activities, but they're doing it in their own way that may even undermine the very outcomes of the initiative. So you might say to me, how do you know this, Peter? i tell you how I know this. <laughs> um, I have uh, been uh, you know, engaged in different church dynamics. And in one of my ministry, uh, a church uh, um, uh, ministry project was, 
to uh, to create a discipleship environment in this uh, in this church that I was part of. Um, I before the the church, the leadership team called me uh, to be their pastor. I was so honest with them, and I said, I understand that you have a specific DNA in this church that I value and I appreciate. But unless we're going to be a discipleship church, please don't bother calling me to the church. It will be difficult for me and it will be difficult for you. They said, yes, we're with you wholeheartedly. We want, and I didn't know these people, obviously, because it was our first initial, um, you know, I didn't know them for a long time. Uh, I knew them for a little bit. Uh, but yes, we're going to go ahead with the discipleship uh, vision and, and future. And, and um, we agreed and I became the pastor. But for two to three years after that, I was struggling to get this strategic plan to be um, an expression of the discipleship heart uh, that people agreed that that would be the future of the church. So we engage in surveys, we engage in focus groups, and we engage in literature review about discipleship and how it works and how it worked in other churches, in similar church dynamics, and, and what framework could help us. And it was just really hard. A lot of opposition, a lot of People are trying their own agendas and 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 trying to 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 get even personal, undermining and and trying to find their own affiliations to undermine and overthrow the type of strategic plan that we had in mind. And it was a very emotional to the extent that by the time we got to the end of it and we produced the strategic plan that has a discipleship orientation to it, by that time, I didn't even want to implement that plan. It was just, it was so draining, a lot of clashes that, that wasn't, I just felt like that's not what we wanted. We wanted to be harmoniously following a particular plan that Jesus made utterly clear, go and make disciples. Like it couldn't be clearer than that. But uh, that's a dynamic that I struggled with. And once the plan was uh, documented, guess what? Very little changed in the life of the church. We created different structures. We were trying different, you know, goals and, and action plans, um, you know, and, and it was beautifully uh, designed and, and, and presented to different groups, you know, to smaller groups, bigger groups, bigger groups until we reached the whole congregation. It was accepted. It was almost like accepted uh, uh, with joy, but it wasn't implemented because it wasn't the culture in the majority of the different environments in the church. It was it, it, it assisted those uh, ministry teams that were doing it already before the strategic plan came, which means regardless of the strategic plan, those who were implementing it, implemented it and continued on implementing uh, that discipleship uh, movement. But the, the, the strategic plan and the whole process, I would dare say was almost a waste of two, three years and a lot of heartache on the way. The sad thing that I'm going to confess to you, 
early, early on in the process, when I noticed opposition, I went to my mentor who's been a pastor for many, many years. And I said, I'm trying to create this strategic plan. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe my understanding of strategic planning is, is not up to scratch. You've done this stuff many, many, many years ahead of me. Can you share with me how you come across, uh, you know, how do you do that? How do you engage groups and so on? And repeatedly he would say to me, Peter, it's too early. You just need to go back and, and forge a small group of people that you would meet with them regularly. And he told me his story when he first went to a church and wanted to change the, the direction uh, of that church. He would meet with a small group of people, apparently in the morning, one day a week at six o'clock in the morning. And then that same week, they will meet at 7.30 at night and will do a Bible study. They meet in the morning for prayer and they meet at night for um, you know vision and study. And, I, and, and he was saying, go and do the same. Forge a, a community of people that live this out. And then after two, three years, begin the strategic plan. And I'm like, what do you mean? That's not going to make a difference. Like, how, how is a small group of people going to impact the, the, the whole church? And plus, if I go and tell my people we're going to meet once a, a week in the morning at six o'clock for prayer and another uh, night in the week uh, for, 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 for vision and, and teaching they might divorce me. <laughs> they might just walk out in, in, a, in mass numbers. And, um, and, and I went with the strategic plan that didn't produce the results that were uh, warranted or hoped for. So another relational process that we can use to implement change I would share with you briefly in the uh, few moments that we have, uh, knowing that some of you are desperate to, uh, to make a difference in your environment, whether it's in your team, whether in your organization, uh, whether it's in your church environment, whether it's in your neighborhood, and you're thinking, okay, how can we implement that? And let me uh, share with you some of my other experiences and observing other people who are God used profoundly uh, within a relational framework. And we're going to uh, categorize it into three simple steps. They're not simple. Don't be tricked by it. Uh, they very involved, but at least gives you uh, a clear picture of what we're trying to achieve. Number one, experiment. Experiment. Number two, expand. And number three, establish. Number one, experiment uh, with a small group of people a group of um, supporters, uh, allies, people that will come alongside you and say, yes, we sold out to this. Then expand that group through relational networks. And then finally establish a, strate a strategic plan and formalize it. We do it the opposite way. So have a go at thinking about how we can do it in this relational way. So the experiment path, discern potential disciplers. So pray your heart out like Jesus prayed and begin to engage with people who might be potential disciples. Timothy 2.2, people who are of good character, faithful, as well as able to teach others also. Not pastoral care people who are just going to be around uh, to support people in time of need, but people are going to develop intentionally, deliberately develop others. So uh, prayfully, 
and, and relationally begin to see who might you invest in. And we've done a, a little uh, practical uh, episode on selecting people um, in, in this series, series three. You might want to revert back to that. But uh, discern potential disciples and then invite them into a pilot trial. You know, you say to them, we're going to trial this new thing. You know, this, uh, say, for example, it's a COD environment, a community of disciples. I'm, I'm looking for four to six people that will meet together fortnightly for about a year. And we're going to explore together what it's like to grow spiritually and help other people grow spiritually. We're going to learn how to be Jesus-like disciples, and we're going to learn how to be Jesus-like disciplers. So you invite them. You share with them your heart. Uh, you know, we want to we wanna engage together and see what it will be like to explore uh, initiating a discipling environment in, in our organization, church, whatever it might be. Then disciple the disciplers as if your life depended on it. So invest in them. They're not your means. You know, sometimes we train people as means to an end. Like we want ushers to look after uh, people in the car park or at the front of the church. So we do whatever we do because they are means to an end at some, some points. Uh, but, but when we're talking about disciples, you invest in them so they could grow fully and develop and you give them your time one-on-one as, as well as in groups and you do life together and you do it in communities of disciples that you want to multiply. If you teach them in a big group, they can only multiply a big group. So that's where the, uh, the transfer of different contexts makes implementations very hard to um, sustain. But if you want them to multiply in small groups, uh, which is the best way for people to understand their identity and engage in, in, in practice, uh, you need to engage with them in the same context so that they could learn. That's what will happen then. I could implement that. Yeah. And the last thing is share the vision with them towards, you know, several months later, begin to share the vision. I, my God has put on my heart that we could see a supernatural uh, move of God by investing in people, quality disciples that, that, that invest in others and make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Share with them the prophetic words that God gave you. Share with them biblical promises that God gave you. Share with them practical vision of what it will look like. You know, the multiplication that could be potential if you invest in one person for a year and two people invest in two people the following year and four people invest in four people the following year and you can express to them the potential of genuinely impacting your environment uh, through uh, uh, engaging with with small groups of people or individuals over a prolonged period of time. Next thing is expand uh, through relational networks. So uh, begin with the disciples' networks. Say, who is God, uh, you know, prompting you to invest in? And, um, you know, one uh, in, in a group in, uh, that, that is affiliated with a particular church, they invited us to help the leaders, uh, the leadership team, so that they eventually could help their, 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 their members. Uh, I was stopped with them after five, five sessions that we had together and said, okay, I'm going to give you five to ten minutes to pray and consider three to four people that you're going to pray 
in order that God may open opportunities for you to disciple them. I'm not asking you to go and connect with them. That will be too much of a, of a, of a step. Some people may be willing and able right away, but let's take it slowly. Just pray that if it is God's will, that God would build bridges and connections between you and those people in your sphere of influence. Then look at somebody you, know, you don't know anything about. Look at the people around you. Uh, who could potentially, uh, you know, become disciples themselves and uh, and pray for them at the uh, for the time being, and then eventually after you pray for them and ask God for opportunities, seek divine connections, begin to engage with them like we we explored the whole concept of selecting disciples and and engage with their expectations, invite them into the group. These disciples begin to multiply cards. And then when they meet together with the original group, the group of allies that you've had early on, uh, they meet maybe now once a month and share stories. This is what we're learning. This is the celebration point. Look at this transformation story. Look at this incredible thing. And you take those stories that they are sharing with one another and take permission and share them with the congregation. You know, you know, we've been engaging something called uh, communities of disciples and, and, and Tom here, you know, he, he wants to share his story about how this community uh, of people around him has influenced his, his, his decision making or, and he's going to tell you about a particular significant decision that he's made as a result or influence his relationship with his family and, and he's just about or this um, you know Mary here she's been part of a community of disciples and and that really influenced the way she began to see herself in God and 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 she now uh, lives that particular way she's going to tell you her story or whatever it might be share stories of celebration let the people see the future with a different lens and say oh man that that seems attractive Oh, that story! Oh man, that 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 uh, you know um, uh, affiliates with what I'm going through. Oh man, I wish that could happen in the rest of our church. And you're not inviting them to do anything yet. You're just sharing stories over a period of several months, and then provide an orientation or a training session where they can say, you know how we've been talking about these communities of disciples for the past few months. Well, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to come and explain experience it for yourself. We're going to put on uh, two, three hours where, you, where you're going to sit through those groups and see for yourself what it will be like because we would like people to not only be part of these groups but multiply these groups and you give an opportunity for people to experiment with it. Once you've done all of that and things, you know, you repeat, uh, uh, you know, that phase two over a period of, of several months, maybe 12, 18 months, then you begin, you've had enough cultural uh, implication in your environments that people are already talking about those things. Languages is starting to uh, manifest a different attitude towards discipling. Uh, you know, the influential people are now impacting their relational networks. Uh, there are stories that are, uh, you know, through website or through newsletters or through emails or through the pulpit or videos that are showing, you know, testimonies of change. Uh, people are beginning to itch. They say, you know, I, I like that. And it becomes something that we defines who we are. 
right? You didn't do it from the top down. You did it from the bottom up. And once that's happening, begin to establish a strategic direction. And a strategic direction is basically getting a group of people who want to embark on a strategic process. Obviously, make sure some of these people who have been part of the discipling environments and seen the fruit themselves, not people who are speculating on abstract ideas. Then engage the church uh, in an evaluation of what's happening uh, of the recent uh, years. You know, some surveys about what they love, what they want uh, for the future. Maybe some uh, focus groups where people interact with each other. So surveys is, is you and the congregation. Focus groups is people influencing one another and make sure that they're not too big a groups. So, you know, 10 people, 12 people at a time where they connect and influence each other's ideas and take all of that, mingle it with biblical vision of discipleship, which you've already shared with your, you've had a good practice with your allies. You have inspired them and that's why they, they if, if they haven't had multiplication, uh, they probably didn't inspire them or they didn't have a great experience of these discipling environments. But you've had had an experience of it. Now share that vision with the rest of the church and create some key focus areas, some goals and some strategies to set that structure. But now resource that structure with finances and resource that structure with people. And this structure is going to be sustainable because like I told you, some of my ministry teams who were already doing discipling before the strategic plan, that, that, that strategic direction just egged them on. It just supported them, just validated their ministry, but it didn't change their ministry because it didn't change others either. Uh, those who weren't interested in discipling, they remained disinterested in discipling. You with me? So the reality is you set a culture that appreciates the vision of God and then set a structure that, that, that resources the culture that you've established over time. So, so, so we've looked at three primary things that can enable you in your own um, you know, relational approach or process uh, to implementing change and a discipleship movement that is uh, that there's gonna uh, go on and on and on without your control that will just unlock Unleash people in relational networks to keep on multiplying. And in our own environment, in our own Gen J, uh, um, you know, experience, uh, just over several years, we now see five generations of disciples, five generations of disciples. One uh, disciple, the group of people, and out of that group of people or individuals, they discipled others who actually discipled others. And now, just two weeks ago, we noticed that two... Uh, Actually, several weeks ago, two year 11 uh, students are actually discipling students in their campuses, different school campuses. It can happen even with ordinary people if you enable them over time to reach the relational network and be involved with resources and abilities and training over time, but they learn in their context. I hope you've been inspired to experiment, expand and establish so that we as the body of Christ be built up to be a certain type 
of people in the world. Jesus loved people just like Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4 that we equip one another to do the works of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ, the building up of certain type of people in the world. And watch out world, if Jesus is going to move through a discipleship movement, we're going to see the world transformed by the power of the cross, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and by the diligent work and the character of Jesus manifested in His people. And you will look back and say, I had a little role to play in that movement. And when Jesus appears in His glory and looks you in the eyes and say, you didn't do this for your agenda. You didn't do this for your own fame. You didn't do this for your own applause, for your own approval, for your self-assertion. But you did it for me. And look you and I and say, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the little. I will raise you over much. What an awesome thing that will be for you and me. Thank you so much for bearing with us throughout this series. I hope you feel encouraged and blessed and look forward to seeing you in another series in the future. Until then, be utterly blessed in Jesus.